I think um, most of you will remember a couple of weeks ago uh, that I brought a message the week before Easter about the Last Supper and how in that uh, upper room, as the disciples engaged with Jesus in the Passover meal, that what Jesus was actually doing with his disciples was betrothing himself to them. That this is where um, he makes a covenant, a marriage covenant, and says, uh, I will be your groom and you will be my bride in that giving and receiving of the cup. And there's this promise that he's coming back. He's coming for his bride. Well, there's uh, a number of messages that have, I feel like the Lord's been... um, bubbling in my heart for quite a number of months, maybe even uh, the last year or two, really simple, perhaps even shorter messages um, that I feel like tie directly with our part of that engagement. You remember the groom and the bride both had a separate role and the bride's was to get ready, to be prepared to have a dress made to await the groom and his return. And um, so I'm going to begin bringing those messages over the next five or six weeks or so, and we'll see where the Lord takes it. But the, this week's message is, is an introduction to, to the rest of them that comes from one, um, one line of Paul's letter to the Ephesians that has just grabbed me um, and held held me deeply. So we're going to read Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, and I'm going to zero in on one phrase um, that really Paul zeroes in on in this, in this um, section. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Another translation of that word service is ministry. For the works of ministry, it's diakonos, like deacons. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. The word of God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in the Western household, uh, we eat a fair amount of bread. And uh, a fair amount of the bread we eat is homemade bread. Um, we have a little bread maker. Probably had one for about 10 years. And we love soup and bread. And so it's quite a regular thing that we have uh, homemade bread cooking in the bread maker. And every once in a while, you know, you put the ingredients in and then you wait, what, like two and a half, three hours. I don't, Anne's the bread maker, not me. So it's about three hours. When it beeps. <laughs> when it beeps, when it beeps, you go to it and you pull out the container and you look forward to pulling out this hot, steamy, full, fresh baked loaf of bread. And every once in a while we go, when it beeps, and we pull out the container, and it's flat. It's not risen. And it's so disappointing, because you're expecting, you can smell it. You want to eat this fresh baked loaf of bread. Now, we sometimes go ahead and eat that flat loaf, because it's what we've got, but it's not, it's not what you're expecting. You expect it to rise. You expect a full loaf of bread. And it's this process of rising or growing that Paul's talking about here when he starts to say, okay, the work of church leaders, God's given these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And he goes on and he starts to say, now their work is to build up the body for works of ministry until we all attain a unity of the faith. Not uniformity. There's a unity that comes in Jesus. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Come mature. And what's so interesting about that word that we translate as mature is it's the exact same word that Jesus speaks from the cross when he says, it's finished. It's accomplished. It is lacking nothing. A couple other ways of translating it are, it is complete. It is perfectly mature. In other words, Jesus is speaking of the plan of God, the work of God. It's complete. So when Paul uses the same word, he's saying, okay, there is this Growth process that God has each one of us in, and it's got an end point. And that end point is a, a, a place of completeness, of lacking nothing, of maturity. And we go, well, what is that? Well, Paul answers that for us. He defines it by saying, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we might say, well, what's that? What's the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit, but before we do, I want to give two encouragements. The first one is, right here, we each have our entire life's calling. We often fret about, uh, God, what are you calling me to? What am I to do? What's my role? What are the gifts you've given? What job should I take? The the circumstantial details of life. But God says, first and foremost, my calling for you 
is this maturity in Christ. This is what I'm doing in your life all the time. I am working toward this first and foremost. This is my life's calling for you. The second piece of good news is this is not a self-help project. This is not something that we strive for, work hard for, beat ourselves up over. This happens. This process unfolds and happens the same way that we come into the kingdom of God, and that's by faith. But it doesn't happen without our active participation. Because you don't come into the kingdom without participation. You hear something. You receive something. You believe something. You profess something. You're changed and transformed by someone. There's a process. Okay. So, Paul says, God's will for each one of us is that we become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In the Greek, it's actually uh, even a little bit more prolonged than that. It's like Paul's stacking up terms. He says, the, in, the measure of the stature of all the fullness which belongs to Jesus. Let me say that one more time. The measure of the stature of all the fullness that belongs to Jesus. What's the goal? He ends here. He stacks up the terms to end with all the fullness that belongs to Jesus or is in Jesus. Okay, what are you saying, Paul? Well, again, the word he uses here helps us. The word is pleuroma for fullness. And it's the word that you would use when you want to describe something that is filled to the point of overflowing. So when Jesus tells the disciples, hey, why don't you cast the net on the other side of the boat? And they go, okay. And they do. And they pull in this catch of fish, 73 fish, I think it was. It, they said so, the boat is so full that it starts to sink. It's full, full, it's full and filling over with fish. It's pleroma, okay? When the woman anoints Jesus, I think it's Mary Magdalene, anoints him with oil and it says, uh, or perfume, that expensive perfume, and it says the, the smell of it filled the whole place where they were in. That's pleroma. It filled it so much that it was flowing over. So, first clue, Paul's saying, I want you to be, your, God's goal for you it is to be so full with Jesus that he's flowing over from you. But he's also saying there's a fullness in Jesus. There's something in him that flows over. There's two ways we can read this. So what we can look at Jesus and we want to know what is this? What's God's goal for us? What's he doing? What's he working to shape? What's this maturity or this fullness? We can look at Jesus and we can say, well, what fills Jesus and is flowing over from him? We can just start to name things to ourselves. We can observe Jesus and we can say, joy fills Jesus. The scriptures say, because you loved righteousness and you hated wickedness, you've been anointed 
with the oil of joy. I've just been in the Gospel of Mark and been noticing and hearing afresh how everywhere Jesus went, hundreds and thousands followed him, came out to him, couldn't stay in the towns and villages, couldn't stay on the land, had to get into the boat. And friends, I don't believe it's just because there was power coming from him. He's the most joyful human being to ever walk the face of this planet. There's nothing that marred the joy because there was an incredible purity in him. Purity of heart. He loved everything God loves. Because you love what's right. So God's saying, I I want to fill you with my joy. Not episodic joy once in a while. Not joy you have to manufacture or, you know, stir up. Joy is in me. And I want to fill you with my joy. What else do we see filling and flowing over from Jesus? We see wisdom. There's not a situation that Jesus meets that he doesn't end up having an answer or a solution to. There's not a trap that he faces. There's not an accusation that comes against him. There's not something that's too difficult for him to handle. Everything he faces, he's able to walk calmly and peacefully into and handle because of the wisdom of God that's in him. And Paul says to the Corinthians, We have the mind of Christ. What fills him and flows over from him a wisdom. God says, I want to fill you with my wisdom. So much so, there's nothing you face that doesn't have an answer or solution that doesn't, that, that needs to rock you. I have something for you for everything. I want to show the world through you what my wisdom looks like. Peace fills Jesus and it flows over from Jesus. How else do you walk toward men that are holding clubs and spears and that are about to bind you, beat you, spit on you, mock you, punch you, whip you, and kill you. When all his disciples run away, he has the ability to say, rise, let's go. Here come my betrayers. There is a peace that is in Jesus that is steady, that is unshakable, that doesn't get tripped up, that allows him to sleep in storms in the hull of a boat, to get up in that storm and to say, what are you all worried about? 
And he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He's saying, I want you to be filled with and flowing over with the peace that's in me. Where does that peace come from? A fullness and a flowing over of faith, of trust. He so entrusts himself to God the Father. He so trusts him that he understands when you are walking in obedience to God the Father who holds all things under his control in the palm of his hand. You walk in his protection. You live in his care. It's a faith and a trust that lives with an ever-present awareness. God is only good. God is fully good. God is fully good to me all the time, regardless of what circumstances say or how people act. Depth of trust in God the Father. And he wants us to, to be filled with and to flow over with that. What else fills Jesus and flows over from Jesus? We're just getting started. I mean, we can go all day and all night, but let's just name a few more. Okay, humility. He, humility is, is agreeing with God in everything. It's not timidity. It's the opposite of pride which rises up, rebels against, asserts self. Humility is, I agree with you in everything. We see the humility in God the Son that is so deep and all-pervasive that he can say, I'd rather you redeem another way if it's possible, but not my will, yours be done. He's honest, but he's also completely surrendered. There's nothing in him that pushes against God. There's nothing in him that challenges. He's completely surrendered. And there is such a freedom and a joy in that place of complete, it's really trust and humility partnered together that produces an incredible fruitfulness. So that's another thing I want to name that we see. What do we see filling Jesus and flowing over from him? Fruitfulness. Wherever he goes, whoever he speaks to, whatever he touches, bears fruit for the kingdom of God. People come to know God through him. People get healed through him. People are changed and transformed because of what's in him. He's fruitful. God's saying, I want to fill you with fruitfulness. I want to make your life fruitful like my son's life is fruitful. We could go on and on and on. And we could go through every attribute of God 
through every aspect of his character, through all of scripture, and say, what do we see in Jesus? And everything that we see in him, God is saying, I want to do this in you, in your life. This is incredible. This is The early church fathers actually had a, uh, a whole stream of thinking in which they articulated that, that um, human beings in being joined to Christ and filled with his spirit were becoming like gods with a little g. It's the whole idea of being renewed in the image of God. But it was such a high calling that Christ was in us and that we're called to grow up in Him. To the fullness that's in Him. I, I find this incredibly hopeful and encouraging, incredibly um, liberating, that God, that, that God is saying to us, this is my purpose for you. Because when we know what his purpose is, we're empowered to cooperate, we're strengthened, and we're, we're, we're given hope. Hope. So I want to ask. Before I before I ask that, I want to name. Um, really appreciate the scripture that you opened with this morning, because I, I wanted to reference that uh, Ephesians one three. God says to us, uh, Paul Paul writes, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms." Every spiritual blessing. So, what's included in the every spiritual blessing? Well, a part of it is uh, all that you and I see in Jesus is what God wants to do in and for us in our life. And so, then I want to ask, well, if that's the case, why is it that we often uh, find ourselves experiencing less than all of this fullness. Why, why do we sometimes settle? Or why do we resign ourselves to less than what God has for us in Christ? I want to make um, two I want to suggest two reasons, and these are based on both pastoral observation and uh, my own walk with the Lord. And then I'll move towards wrapping it up. I think that we allow our experience to speak louder than the word of God. And I call this functional unbelief or lack of faith. So we read something like this. Simple phrase, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And um, in some cases we say, oh, that's nice. 
and we move on. In other cases, we read it and we don't quite understand it. We move on. But it's not often that we read something like that and say, Lord, what does that mean? Teach me what that means in its fullness. And we begin to drill down and drill deep. Oftentimes when we read things that don't correspond with what we're currently experiencing, we just skip over, we move over them. It's, like, it's what I did with John 14, uh, or John, yeah, John 12, 14, 12, 14. <laughs> 14, 12. John 14, 12. For many years, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do the things that I've been doing and even greater things than these. Impossible. How can you do greater things than Jesus? How can you do the things that Jesus did? He must have meant something different. He must have. And so you just keep reading. And you develop a, a theology that's based on your experience. Or lack of it. Rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to renew your mind with the truth of the Word of God as you press in to God and His Word saying, what do you mean? What do you have for us? Okay. So, functional unbelief is the first one that I think prevents us or acts as a stumbling block. And then a second one is a lack of awareness of the tools that God's given us for strength, strengthening ourselves or for growing in Him. So, in the, near the end of that passage, Paul talked about the whole body growing as it builds itself up in love, which should strike you as a strange image. That the body's building itself up. But there really is a way in which God has a role or a part in our growth and we have a role or a part in our growth. And if we don't know how to play it, we don't know how to do it. So let me just give you one example and, um, and then we'll set ourselves up for the weeks to come. In 1 Samuel chapter 29 and 30, we have this horrific picture of David uh, who has been already on the run for a number of years. His life is under th- threat. He's separated from his family. He's been in the wilderness. He's been hunted. He has been um, surrounded, attacked. I mean, you just can't imagine how low he's feeling, right? Cut off from friends and family. And, and uh, he, he's, he's got somebody who wants to murder him perpetually. And he can't get him to stop. And where you pick up the story, in 1 Samuel 29, David has um, offered his band of followers that are with him to the Philistines who are going to fight against Israel. And the Philistine uh, guy that he offers himself to accepts him, so they go with him. And then the Philistine commander hears and says, Nah, no way. If he comes with us, he's going to turn against us in battle, try to prove his worth to the Israelite army. And so you need to send him away. So one person says, you know you're having a bad day when you get rejected by your enemies. Okay? So he gets rejected by his enemies from helping them. And he, he and his men leave the battle. And they make their way back to their camp. And they get to their camp. And they find out that all the, the camp has been completely ransacked. All the women and the children have been taken. Everything they have is gone. 
Now you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, you think. But no, it gets worse. His men get bitter. And they get angry. And they start complaining. And they say, you're doing this to us. And they start talking about stoning him. Okay. There's nothing left now. I might as well just give up. I can't help my enemies. My own people don't want me. God's calling for me isn't working. I've been on the run for seven years. God told me I'd been king, but it's not happening. My wife and children have just been stolen. My men want to kill me. Like, how much worse could it get? And the text says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he went and he got his men and he said, let's go. We're getting our wives and children back. And they went after them and recovered every single one of them without harm to any of them. What does it look like to know how to be in a situation like that where everything is going absolutely as wrong as it could and to say, I know how to strengthen myself in the Lord. I know what to do in a moment like this. It's the tools and the process of knowing and learning how to strengthen and grow or work with the Lord, to grow ourselves in the Lord that leads to the fruitfulness that he then experiences later on. So next week, uh, and in the coming weeks, I'm going to start to talk about tools, gifts, or means for that we can that we have at our disposal for strengthening ourselves in the Lord and and I think as we play our part this is how we'll talk about God's part but as we play our part this is how we grow up into Christ but you we've got to realize every situation we face is a situation where God can bend it toward his purposes He's really been impressing this on me in the last year and a half, two years. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works toward the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. But that doesn't mean we're guaranteed to experience those results in everything because we have a part to play in cooperating with the Lord. If we turn into whining or bitterness or complaining or resentment or unbelief or any manner of things... God's purposes don't move forward. We can frustrate them. Okay? So we gotta learn to recognize how is it that I cooperate with the Lord in any and every situation, what tools are at my disposal for strengthening myself in the Lord, working with Him, and He grows Christ in me and through me. Okay? So we're gonna do that in the weeks to come, but I wanna end this morning by, I'm gonna lead us in prayer. I think the first thing we need to do is just say, Uh, really simply, God, I agree with you. I agree with you that this is your will for my life. This is what you want to do until I reach that finished, which is a different point for every one of us. Okay, So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you call us sons and daughters. The word of God says, how great is the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Amazing. 
And we thank you that as your sons and daughters, you intend for every one of us to grow to fullness in your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have an ever-present, unfailing willingness, desire, and intention to do this work in us. And we pray now, help us to participate, to cooperate with you and grow us up both as individuals and as a church to maturity in your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.